Uh, welcome everybody to um, this unheard podcast on uh, Donald Trump evangelicals. I'm Katie Harrison, Pastor Clement Acuzzi, Henry Olson and myself will be discussing the uh, phenomenon of Trump evangelicals and Katie Harrison who's an unheard contributor has just a couple of weeks ago come back from Washington DC and, and other places where she's been looking at this uh, phenomenon and basically the, the job for us today is to try and unpack it to shed a bit of light on it I guess there'll be some heat too and uh, Katie take it away what did you find? I went to find some of the people who had voted for Trump white evangelicals now when we look at the data we see that around 80-81% of white evangelicals in the states voted for Trump and they made up 26% of the electoral turnout so they're a very significant group. Um, we found that Hillary had ignored them at their peril, she thought she could manage without them um, and that was ma mainly the main reason, the top reason people said they voted for Trump because he wasn't Hillary and we found that there were some core issues that people felt very strongly about which they believed could only really be resolved by putting a particular kind of justice on the Supreme Court if you remember, Justice Scalia had died just before the election, really, in the same year. And he was a very social conservative, somebody that many white evangelicals pinned their hopes on in those debates and decisions at Supreme Court. So they were rejecting Hillary, they were looking for someone to re represent their interests on the Supreme Court, and they were feeling very forgotten in general because many of the white evangelicals that we met or heard from um, are not just white evangelicals, they're people with, other, with lots of parts to their lives. And there were people often living not on the coast, but in the middle of the country, in what we would call the flyover states, where the elites sort of only see from the sky as they travel between their very important meetings on each of the coasts and they had perhaps lost their jobs or they were concerned about family members who had they just saw politicians saying same old same old things and so some of the very brutal actually I would say rhetoric that Trump delivers which seems very uncomfortable over here was almost welcomed by some of these people because they were seeing it as a very refreshing different approach instead of just platitudes and empty promises that they'd heard before. Was it, was it something about the way you describe it there? It makes it sound like there was something about sort of emotional, uh, this emotional character of Donald Trump. There's something that appealed to a religion of the heart, I guess, or something that was, was quite an emotional type of movement at the beginning of your, uh, of your documentary. There's this sort of like charismatic, very sort of emotionally charismatic worship environment, which felt not a million miles away from a Donald Trump rally. Yes, well, I think that's part, that's America, to be honest. You know, people like to turn out to things in large numbers. They like to, they like to believe from the heart. They like to pin the hopes on a person, whether that's a religious leader or um, a political leader. We see in the religious world far more famous Christians in America than you might see in the UK or in European countries where we're less into, Clement, you may disagree, but I think parts of the church are less into the sort of Christian celebrity kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So part of that's just what America is like. But um, I think you're right that people were emotional about Trump, but very mixed emotions. Nobody that I spoke to justified the way that he spoke to or about women. Nobody um, condoned his comment caught um, off guard a few years ago and released last Octo uh, the October before the election where, he's, um, where he talked about pussy grabbing, excuse my language but it was his language and nobody, nobody condoned that at all that I spoke to but people found a way to excuse it sometimes using quite biblical narratives about unlikely leaders and that sort of thing to, because there were things that they really wanted him to deliver and believed that he could Does that, does that uh, Pastor Clement you're, you're from you're from the Assemblies of God Church in uh, Croydon. Yes. Does, does that 
does that sort of chime with your experience? Does that does that, does that sound like what happened to you? Um, I think Trump is a um, uh, he's a major contradiction. He's a major mixed bag. I think um, part of his success uh, in America. I mean, I travelled to this. I don't know how many times I've been to America. Twenty, thirty times in the past few years, and a lot of my connections over there would be with quote-unquote white evangelicals, ironically. I think there's just an inherent distrust of Hillary Clinton. And I can't, um, um, I can't say just how much Hillary Clinton's um, not being very popular amongst evangelicals led to people voting for Trump. Now, for sure, there's this... Um, What's wrong with Hillary? What do they? What do they hate? Uh, why do they a, hate her so that's much? A, that's a good question. No, why I do mean, they hate her so much? Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether America is more sexist than racist. I don't know whether America is much more prepared to have a black president than they are to pre- prepared to have a female president. I don't know, but maybe because she's part of the political class, yeah. she's uh, she's a Clinton. Um, there is something about her history with a certain side of America. They really despise her. I think I could be voted. Uh, President of the United States before uh, people would vote for Hillary. So there was that. Uh, She had that working against her. If you looked at all the candidates that were running for the last election, she was probably the most experienced political candidate there. And commentators were saying she's going to walk this, this is going to be a piece of cake. And maybe they underestimated Donald Trump's drive for success and stubbornness uh, to their own peril. Um, but getting but back didn't they theologically, didn't the, the Trump phenomenon theologically to them? The, the, this is, as Katie was saying, this yeah. is someone who was, you know, sure. a week or so before the election was talking about grabbing women by the genitals and so yeah. forth like that. This is a group of people who you would have thought would found that just a, just a no-no. I think what had happened in the previous um, election with Mitt Romney, um, a lot of uh, white evangelicals in America, especially the ones that I was connected with, were very anti-Mormon. In fact, a lot of the anti-Mormon teaching that came out of America came from white evangelicals. And uh, in the previous election, white evangelicals were very slow to come around to voting for Mitt Romney until it was too late. So actually, Mitt Romney had mobilized. They... Uh, Mitt Romney's experience had already helped evangelicals theologically accept that we're not voting for the pastor of America, we're voting for the commander-in-chief. And so they already worked out a theological construct where they could say, well, listen, there's, there's shared values. And of course, Mitt Romney was very much about family. He was very much about business. He was very much about certain things which were dog whistles to a lot of people in America. And so even though um, they were anti-Mormon theologically, they were prepared to vote for him. So when uh, Donald Trump comes along, who is even more of a theological challenge, a lot of the groundwork had already been done on the previous uh, candidate. Henry, you're, you're, um, you're our flyover editor here. You're the expert yep. on this sort of stuff. <laughs> um, does, does all of that chime with the way you th- see things? I think the one thing I would add is that um, the United States <coughs> politics is very different than it is here right. in Europe. Um, it's different in a number of ra- ways, but one way it's very different is that issues that have uh, r- relating to sex and traditional gender roles 
and um, theology tend to be settled through the courts rather than through the legislative process. Mm -hmm. And for an American evangelicals, they have felt attacked by what they would call, they used to call secular humanism, and now would simply refer to as secular progressivism. Um, and they've often lost, not because they've lost at the ballot box, but because they've lost in the court. What made the Scalia uh, question so poignant is that the United States Supreme Court, prior to Justice Scalia's death, was uh, a five to four court, that on quest matters that they cared about, there was a soft five to four majority for progressives. Uh, Justice Scalia's loss would have made it six to three, which would have meant they felt that they will never win a case before the Supreme mm -hmm. Court again, which means that they felt that their theology, their way of life, was under assault yeah. from an institution that for 30, 40 years had not been favorable to them. Uh, and American evangelicals have been voting Republican on the basis of this culture war now yeah. in increasingly large numbers for over 20 years. So since, since Roe versus Wade, since 1973? No, it took a long time because the Democratic Party had a lot of conservative social elements in it. Um, after Roe versus Wade is when the religious right starts to form, but uh, immediately the Democrats put up a Southern Baptist, uh, Jimmy Carter, who spoke to a different side of American evangelicalism, and he did quite well among Southern evangelicals. Bill Clinton played up that aspect of his background. He said abortion should be safe, legal, and rare, and he lost white evangelicals, by a m but by a much, much smaller margin. What happens is that in the 2000s, that wing gets thrown out of the Democratic Party, and you move from being two-to-one Republican to being five-to-one Republican. George Bush won 79% of the white evangelical vote in 2004. John McCain won 74% in 2008. So while Trump, the large margin of evangelical support for the Republicans is based on a long-standing political preference. The fact that Donald Trump's morality didn't change that, and in fact you got the highest percentage ever, is what's shocking, is not the large margin, but the magnitude of the margin under the circumstances. And for that, many of the things both of you have said is absolutely yeah. accurate. Katie, you, you are, you're from an evangelical background, that's, that's fair to say, isn't it? Do, do you think, you go over there and you see the, this connection that's forged uh, between Donald Trump and all his personal issues and what he stands for, and evangelical Christianity, works to the works to the detriment of, of evangelical Christianity. I mean, I, I was, was reading something earlier in the, I think it's in the Washington Post, by a chap who served in three Republican administrations. I think his name's Peter Weiner. And so he's, he's my said, colleague. He's your colleague. <laughs> and he says this, the term evangelical, despite its rich history, proclaiming the good news of Christ to a broken world, has been so distorted that it's now undermining the Christian witness. I think we've seen a lot of um, discussion in the last 10 years over here in the UK about the word evangelical mm. and actually a phasing out of its use in common parlance. So people, theologians will use it for a particular reason and there will be some parts of the church that hold to it. But actually, in if you ask somebody in the street what evangelical means, they would either say, arguably fundamentalist, or perhaps they meet, think it means evangelism. So yeah. we talk about being evangelical about something and, and even that for it, that metaphor is just inaccurate theologically. So the word evangelical describes a set of beliefs. The word evangelism describes an activity of sharing your yeah. faith and that's been completely confused. In yeah. America, we see that starting to emerge now much later than it did here. So Tim Keller, who's a big thought leader in the evangelical church in the States and hugely respected around the world for lots of things that he's written over the years, um, wrote just a, a few weeks ago, really, saying exactly this, that the word, I used to be proud of the word evangelical, but now it's used as an insult. And that's, that, that's a, 
you know, a real shame, and that tells us something about where the church is up to. And I think Trump's um, appropriation by white evangelicals, not black evangelicals, but by white evangelicals, has been a, an acceleration of that process in the last 18 months. Well, you've brought that question of race up, and um, we've been talking here so far about white evangelicals. Do do Pastor Clement, do, do white evangelicals and black evangelicals in the states mm-hmm. do they believe different stuff? Um, yeah, I think that with all labels, you're going to find variation within those labels. Um, I would say um, my experience of uh, the churches I've ministered to in America is that generally speaking, white evangelicals are a lot more conservative and black evangelicals are a lot more democratic, politically speaking. Um, however, there is some common ground. And I think that a lot of evangelicals, no matter what shade they may be, uh, feel that they have, their views are being encroached upon. They feel like um, America, as well as Britain, I think Christians feel like society is becoming more secular, it's becoming less, less Christian. And so I think anyone who comes and says a few of the right words and comes with a few of the right policies, again, as I mentioned before, that's a dog whistle. And um, the reason I say Donald Trump is such a contradiction, because we've all heard the, the comments he's made, which are reprehensible. And uh, they're certainly not the comments of someone I would particularly like to vote for. However, I then hear him say other things about the church and about protecting the, um, the non-profit status of churches in America, which was under threat by a lot of... It's your bottom people. line you're concerned about, Pastor. What? No, no, what I'm saying it's a dog whistle for churches in America. And so they're very aware, because this topic's been going on, this has been pushed by uh, the secular um, side of uh, American society for years. And so um, here is uh, Donald Trump, and he says, uh, I'm going to protect the non-profit status of, uh, of churches in America. That becomes a dog whip. Abortion is a major okay. issue but in the churches a, in well, America. He, flib- he, he was flip-flopping about abortion yeah. for quite a long time. Yeah. And also, let's not forget, Donald Trump did used to be a Democrat. Yeah. So, so let me just, but let me just press you on one thing here. So, um, evangelical Christians, uh, I, I, what I doesn't get me is how they can stand there if they did and sing "Build That Wall" when the people on the other side of that sure. wall are exactly their brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, Mexican brothers sure. and sisters in Christ. Yeah. Now the idea that we are. You know, as Galatians have it, in Christ there's neither sure, Jew absolutely. nor Greek. You know, you're one, you're mm-hmm. part of one family. There's no such thing as, quote-unquote, an American Christian. There's just Christians, okay? Yeah, so how you can say, build that wall and retain your evangelical theology? I'm not an evangelical, but sure. I don't get that. Sure. Well, I think as an outsider, America seems like a contradiction in terms, again. I think... Um, that may be true, but actually when you go to America, America is a nation of immigrants. Uh, I think um, Barack Obama used that comment um, well. Every president of the last 20 odd years has spoken about immigration being a problem. Immigration is a problem for many countries for many reasons, for economic reasons, for security reasons, etc., whatever they uh, may use as a uh, justification. So I don't think him talking about immigration was a surprise. It was about him really saying he was going to do something about it. Now, come on, a wall sounds very um, extreme, all right? But he's not the only president who spoke about... Uh, someone sent me a video clip yesterday, and it was a montage of... Um, 
of uh, I think uh, Barack Obama, uh, Bill Clinton, and the last five six American presidents saying we're going to do something about immigration. And, and they ran on that ticket. And you don't think some of the things he said that he's a racist? Uh, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Um, Donald Trump is seventy something years old. He has been in the American public eye for five, four or five decades. He hosted one of America's most popular TV programs. And it's interesting that this um, narrative of him being a racist has only really been brought to part when he became a president. So I want to know to those who are calling him, and without a shadow of that, he said some things that are a bit dodgy. Shit old countries. Well, allegedly, and so, and certainly, um, I don't appreciate those comments and I think that's a, that's a very offensive thing to say. The problem I have is that a lot of things they're saying about him now were never said about him until he became the president. And, and I think people aren't stupid about that. People understand that there is a difference in media, especially in America. Their media is very polarised. You've got certain media that are for certain groups and certain media for other groups. Katie, build that wall. Can, can Christians really say that? Well, I think the base that voted for Trump, the white evangelical base, are both socially conservative and fiscally conservative. And that's a very tight combination there. So they would interpret their theology perhaps as me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm. And it's an individual responsibility and my family absolutely comes first theologically, practically, socially and politically. And so you can have a brother or sister in, in Mexico spiritually and that's very nice that they're there but they're not necessarily my responsibility in the same way as my child is, says some of these white evangelicals. And that's a very different narrative than we see in the evangelical church or the church more broadly in the UK and Europe where there's a language of social justice which is less polarising politically mm. than it would be in the States. Um, so you just have a much more individualistic approach which then legitimises some of these comments. And some of the concern about immigration is also about the invasion, in inverted commas, of Islam. So people are trying to protect what they believe to be the country which God has given to them. There's a Christian nationalism here. And they believe that people coming in with um, what they would call false religions will turn people away from the Lord and therefore we must protect our communities from this invasion. So they have built a theological narrative which makes sense to them, which is very different yeah. than we would find among other evangelicals in different parts of the world. Henry, one of the things that uh, that strikes me, I mean, and this is, is I'm sure a peculiarly UK um, perspective, when I go over to the States, and one of the things that I find I'm quite allergic to about American worship and religion is the presence of the flag, the American flag, <laughs> in so much in so much American worship. And there are times when it feels like a form of idolatry. It feels like actually there's quite a lot of flag worship amongst American evangelicals. Does that? Can you say something into that anxiety that I have? Well, um, as an American, the idea of a state-sponsored church and established church seems rather <laughs> odd. But you do so have flags in the sanctuary often. Oh no, I'm not denying that. <laughs> we have, we do have flags everywhere. Don't have bishops in the legislature, though. To be fair, do you? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, but. This gets to something that Katie was uh, was talking about, Christian nationalisms, that 
for you can't treat American evangelicalism as a singular thing. It is That's a right. there are many many denominations. Yeah. One of the fastest growing parts of American evangelicalism is non-denominational Christianity, yeah. which is getting into the question of Christian celebrity, really uh, pastor following as opposed to denomination or theological sure. following. You like a way sure. a person interprets the Bible, but you, you're not asking the larger questions. Um, and then you've got the question of the background, which is to say a lot of the people who are the leaders of the political arm of American evangelicalism are Southern Baptists. They are descended from English, Scots, Irish, and Welsh who came to this country hundreds of years ago. And for them, this is the country. Mm -hmm. They have forgotten their immigrants' past. America is their country, and it is tied up with their theology, and in part because of our history of religious freedom, which was largely pushed by evangelical churches. Promised land. The You're the promised land. <laughs> we are the promised land. Not we are the we are yes. Milk and honey. For for many of these people, there is no other home but America. There's no memory of a sure. other place from whence they came. So for them to be under assault demographically from immigrants who they know, even if they share brotherhood in Christ, uh, they do not share a political agenda, uh, who they also feel allies with their mortal enemies, the secularists who control the court, they feel under siege. And when you're under siege, you want a strong king to build the sure. castle build the moat and protect the citizenry. And so particularly for these Southern English, you know, British descended evangelicals, that's what's going on here. But didn't it used to be the case that evangelicals, American evangelicals used to say things like, you know, we're not interested in this social gospel, you know, be, be um, of the world but not in the world type of thing. You know, there's, there's a sense in which you're distant. Now, of course, they're very involved in a social gospel. It just happens to be a right-wing social gospel well, rather well, than... Well, they wouldn't use the term social gospel, they, and the yeah. language is really important. Right. In fact, if you were to say that, they would say yeah. that they were opposed. So what happened was... But it is in a way. What the, If you were to talk to them, what they would say was, that was a fine when we were not under threat. Yeah. What they would say is, starting with the assault on prayer in schools, which was the first mo issue in 1962, when the Supreme Court overturned, on a national basis, thousands of local statutes that allowed the school day to start with the prayer. They have felt under assault from an urban elite that, hate, that they view hates them and that uses non-democratic means to advance their agenda. The mobile, moral majority mobilized evangelicals to say, now is the time for us to come into the world yeah. because we are under assault. And that is what has created political evangelicalism and why you can have that prior statement, but now you can see a different belief because they believe that they are in their core, in their theology, under assault yeah. from a hostile power. And that's happened in just one generation. So it's 45 years ago since Roe versus Wade. Moral majority was founded in 1979, just uh, six years later, uh, by Jerry Falwell. And his son, Jerry Falwell Jr., is now a regular in the White House and, and has the ear of the president. So within just one generation, we've seen this white evangelical base, to be fair, the black church had been very politically engaged for ages in the civil rights mm. movement. So this is a very different part of the church. But that white evangelical part of the church has shifted from being from seeing politics as dirty and you know worldly and something that we wouldn't touch to people um though to white evangelicals being in key staff roles in the white house cabinet posts informal advisors to the president and having a massive amount of influence on this presidency so are we so different 
is the is the is the um, is the sea between us so wide that this sort of thing could never happen in this country? Um, I think we have to be careful. I think the, um, how the media reported, let's for example say the referendum with Brexit, I think was an eye opener to people when the um, Leave vote succeeded because the narrative in the, being played out in the, in the media was no way is this going to happen and actually Brexit to me was a precursor for Trump as soon as we saw Brexit you kind of knew that you know things could happen and I think there is a relationship between America and Britain it used to be said that uh, every time America sneezes Britain catches a cold I remember that phrase many years ago um, I think it could happen over here. I just think it'd be a lot more subtle. We don't do God in the be... same way as they do over there, do well, we? I mean, they might do in Croydon, true. Pastor, but, they don't, <laughs> yes. but they, don't, they don't for many places. Well, survival in Croydon. That's right. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm not sure how um, polarised we are over here. I think we're a lot more nuanced. And I think we're a lot more... Um, um, the lines that blur one group from another group are less, a lot more subtle than they are in America. In America, it's either one or the other. I think in Britain Rahala. it's a lot more, yes, okay, yeah, <laughs> and I think in uh, Britain it's a lot more nuanced, and so, but could it happen over here? I think it could do, I think, um, I'm not sure how strong the Christian vote is in this country, I'm not sure how, how many Christians there are in this country, whether there's enough of us to change the political outcome of uh, major uh, elections, but certainly in America it's possible, and hence their importance is um, politically greater. Henry, you, you get voting trends, that's your thing. I mean, we're not religious enough in this country for this to happen. No, you're not religious enough in this country for it to happen. You can be part of a larger thing, but it can't be the dominant or, or yeah. can't be the, as more major. I mean, in the United States, 40% of Americans go to service at least weekly. Uh, over 10% largely evangelical go more than once a week. Yeah. Um, and oh, that is simply a different number. And in the United Kingdom, it's under 10%. And as an outsider to your country, I look at the way the establishment has reacted to the Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP, which in some sense on social issues is very akin to the American Evangelical Church. And when the government was formed here, there was, I remember reading in your media, they're not going to bring their agenda on same-sex marriage over <laughs> to our shores. And, but in the United States, whereas you would find the same disdain from elite media sources, uh, instead of being 2% of the voting electorate, they're 30% of the voting electorate. Yeah. You just have to pay more attention to them. So you may have similar forces, but it would not be something that would be dominant. It would be part of a larger trend. You'd have to look at what the deal-breaking issues were for various communities, including religious communities. And we saw in um, everybody I spoke to uh, who supported Trump and people who didn't support him but were commenting on it pointed to the issue of abortion as having yeah. been a massive deal-breaker for many um, uh, people of faith, of all faiths actually, in the States. And, and having driven many of these white evangelicals towards Trump and I think you'd have to look at what's the equivalent of that here is there one and deliberately is it not being heard because that's the thing that we must surely have learned over the last few years that there are things bubbling under the surface where we think it's just a few people or they're not going to turn out on the day or baking it's not, cakes it's not really, is not really going to do it yeah, is it yeah you know, baking in cakes Northern for a same-sex wedding it's not really a thing well you know I think we need to look more carefully at not not necessarily that issue itself but where are the equivalents where people are feeling disgruntled or um 
or embattled we heard the word embattled and under attack a lot so whether it's people responding in this country in the UK to uh, the European Union and voting for Brexit or whether it's people um, in the states voting for Trump that's the thing that's in common and I would also say that in terms of the church I think the biggest challenge and the biggest lesson for the church around the world is um, to to look at what happened to voters priorities in the states 2011 there was a poll of white evangelicals and only 30% of them said that um, a moral failing if you like um, of a political leader uh, would, wouldn't really matter they could still fulfill their duties in their public and professional life so that was in 2011 five years later 2016 right before the presidential election 72% of white evangelicals said I can live with it I can live with a moral failing and that's a big leap the moral character issue shifted immensely very quickly so Katie I'm asking you personally rather than your, in terms of analysis you know you, you, you've been over there you've, you've, you've asked all these questions and so forth and then you've come back do you see this movement as conducive to the common good in the United States of America do I see white evangelicals as conducive yes. to the common good I think they think they are now I'm asking you what you think <laughs> I think they have they have lifted some issues so I think um, abortion was never off the table, to be honest, in political debate in the States, but it's massively at the top of people's lists um, now, uh, and people understand that this is a deal breaker. However, that is shifting, and I think what we will see is if there's anything that will come out of this for the common good, it is a better understanding of nuance and how to solve a problem. So what you're seeing is younger, millennial, pro-life Christians, for example, um, people who feel very strongly about abortion, including women, um, speaking and writing about it is not enough just to prohibit by law a medical procedure. If you care about the life of this child that you want to see born, what are you doing to help the single mother? Because actually what happens in practice is some of the 50-year-old white men who are lobbying for prohibition of abortion are also vilifying single mums. Pastor Clement, would you, would you have voted for Trump? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, as a Brit, no. Um, but, um, yeah, that's a hard one because um, some of the issues, such as abortion, are major issues in the black evangelical but community. But the world the is bigger than abortion. I, I accept that. I do accept that. But there is this, um, there is this idea that the um, that the liberal side of the political spectrum is encroaching on Christian beliefs. Uh, I don't know. Um, is the honest answer to that question? Uh, I'm not. Wow. A, yeah. And I think a lot of people listening to this might no. be quite shocked the fact that you don't know. No, I I think they wouldn't be shocked. I don't think a lot of black UK evangelicals would be shocked because um, they would say um, again. Some of the things that Donald Trump says, I keep coming back to this phrase, were a dog whistle to Christians. Some of the things he's speaking about, the importance of the church, uh, some of the things that the church thinks about, etc., etc. And um, what I do know you know, America, you know as well as I do, he's theologically illiterate. Oh, I mean, he knows he knows nothing about you Christianity. Know, Come on, the, the you, problem, you and I both know. The this. problem with Americans that I see, I think uh, them being a Christian and swearing on the Bible at their inauguration is a bit of pomp and ceremony. And you know, I'm not sure how much we take it that they are real, genuine Christians. However, there is a feeling I feel amongst, especially Pentecostal Christians, um, that the world is, and especially this part of the world, especially this part of Europe is becoming less and less Christian. 
It's giving us a bad name. This. Oh, abso- oh, absolutely. I'm sure. Um, I'm. Sure, but the question you asked me is, would I voted for yeah. Trump? Uh, and the question, my response to that is, I know that in America, um, there is this real deep seated dislike of. Hillary Clinton. I tell you what, though, I had um, Michelle Obama run for election. I'd have voted for her <laughs> because she spoke. She spoke so well. She gave so many great speeches, and there was this idea that actually she could well one t- one day run for the presidency. Okay, Henry. So a lot of this returns to Hillary. Actually, we've returned to Hillary quite a lot. Yeah. Hillary was a Methodist, brought up as a Methodist. She would describe herself as a Christian. What is it about Hillary Clinton as a self? described Christian that would actually make people run for the hills? Because she doesn't come across as a Christian in the way these people define Christianity. She is somebody who is allied with a progressive secular movement that is uh, time and time again not only moving against things that they hold dear but doing so in a non-democratic manner and with contempt. Uh, It is You have to be over in America to realize how looked down upon evangelical Christians are by uh, urban elites. Uh, if I'll, You asked about voting for Trump. I'm the only person here who actually had that choice. I didn't vote for Trump. But I didn't vote for Hillary because mm-hmm. I, I, I sat in the voting booth and trying to decide. I've never voted for a Democrat for president in my life. Um, and I came back to abortion. That I watched her in this debate, in the third debate, and she was asked, they were asked a question about, in the United States it is legal, there's this question, should you um, have an abortion after 20 weeks of pregnancy, when arguably the fetus is viable. Um, And as somebody watching politics, I thought this is a softball for her. Said she showed absolutely no understanding of any sympathy with people who might believe that you, and um, and what she did was clearly say that, you know, if a woman wants to do, uh, that what is inside a woman is a woman's property, uh, and she can do what she wants with it. And I found that distinctly unchristian. And so I voted for a third-party candidate, knowing that I was throwing my vote away. And wow. many Christians who were less, fe- I'm not an evangelical, so I do not feel under threat the way they do. Sure. But if I felt under threat, and I looked at somebody who was allied with and showed no sympathy for my position, absolutely, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Yeah. Katie, I'm going to give the last word to you because you, you've done this documentary. It was a brilliant documentary. Uh, I think people will have been uh, chastened by listening to it and I think by some of this conversation here today. Were you, did you have your mind changed in any particular regard when you went out there and I think, made this documentary? I think I had my eyes opened. So I, I feel as though I know a lot about the church around the world and evangelicals in particular and I, I knew people in America. Um, but from this side of the Atlantic... Um, the language and the behaviour of President Trump has been so brutal, belligerent, bellicose, that um, it's, it's, it's more than distasteful. It's repulsive to people over here. And I, I know many Christians, um, black and white, in this country and across Europe and around the world, who feel very upset by their brothers and sisters in America, actually, and, and feel betrayed by them. How on earth could you put this man in the White House? And so that's what I went to find out. We did find out there are reasons, and there are reasons that make perfect sense once you're there. You can't you can't see them from the outside, yeah. but when you're there and you're sitting with people and you're eating with them and you see the way that family life works and politics works there and you see the issues that have made people feel under attack, it makes perfect sense, even if we don't like it from over here. Katie Harrison, Clement Acuzzi, Henry Olsen, and from me, Giles Fraser, thank you very much indeed.